Welcome to the Breaking Into Stars podcast, where we teach people like you how to get high paying jobs in tech in less than 12 months. I don't know about you, but several people in the Breaking Stars and Career Conference community have student loans. When I opened up Twitter this week, like I do after my 5 a.m. workout every morning, I almost screamed into the darkness when I found out that outstanding student loan debt is now at $1.6 trillion. $1.6 trillion is 2019. Two years ago, student loan debt was $1.4 trillion. And today, we're going to talk about what a powerful woman named Angela Ceresny is doing about this. Angela is the CEO of Climb Credit, and today she's going to share how you can afford a high-quality, skills-driven education that, most importantly, gets you a job. Climb Credit has funded skills training for over 11,000 people, and they work with over 140 schools that focus on high-quality outcomes. If this masterclass about the difference between traditional loans, climb loans, income share agreements, and other forms of financing show you that achieving your dreams of becoming a software engineer is possible, then I want you to pause this podcast right now, download the Career Karma app, and tweet to the world that this podcast inspired you to become a software engineer by 2020. Career Karma is in the App Store or Google Play Store. You should absolutely tell your friends about it and tell them to subscribe to the Breaking Stars podcast as well. Most importantly, if Climb Credit is something that helps you become more financially literate, make sure you reach out to Angela and let her know what stood out to you. Finally, please leave feedback on iTunes, positive or negative. Like our Facebook page. Join our Breaking the Starters community page on Facebook. Send us a message about your feedback at Ruben Archer or Timor at BreakingTheStarts.com. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Archer, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're sitting here in our HQ in Soma. Some big developments happened recently. So Ruben, Timor, and I just finished Y Combinator with Career Karma. And now we're a full-fledged startup helping people break into tech. So that's something exciting. If you guys haven't yet checked out Career Karma, definitely go to our website, careerkarma.com. And this episode is also going to be recorded on video. So if you guys want to see the full episode, go to YouTube to Career Karma or Breaking to Startups and you'll be able to see our guest. And shout out to 8Heroes, Nana, for recording this and making this available for you. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for today's guest. Timur, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah. So today we have a very special guest, Angela Ceresny. And Angela is the CEO of Climb Credit. Uh, she has experience working and starting multiple startups. And before that, she also led teams at Citibank and American Express. What's interesting about her experience is that she studied computer engineering at University of Michigan, and she comes from a technical background. And most importantly, she's also a mother. And Angela has two daughters. And on today's episode, she's going to talk about how the skills, how skills building and work that she's doing at Climb comes into play as she's trying to build a future for her own kids. So welcome, Angela. 
Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. It's great to be here. And congratulations on finishing Y Combinator yeah, and exciting. launching your company. It's amazing. Appreciate yeah. it. Amazing. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming all the way from New York. That's yeah. awesome. I think, you know, Timor brought up that you're a mom. I think you had a funny story. I think it's important to, to talk about because you've accomplished a lot of big things, but that's something that was super impressive that you shared earlier. Yeah. So I think this came up a little bit because you guys are in the throes of getting your company off the ground. Yeah. And, and the first company I started back in 2012, 13 was a company called Orchard. And when we raised our seed round, which was this is my first startup, I was fundraising while I was seven months pregnant with wow. my second daughter. Yeah. And now that's becoming a little more commonplace, yeah. but it was pretty rare then. And we actually closed and signed all the docs while I was in the hospital. With wow, her. that's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, anyone can do it. Anyone yeah. can do it. That's yeah. what I'll yeah. say. And we have lots of parents in our community now who are probably listening to this podcast and in Career Karma. So it's exciting to see other parents share their stories of how they're trying to make an impact and make it more accessible to other parents. Yeah. And I mean, it was a big career change for me to go from working in big banks to into the startup world. And I had a little bit of imposter syndrome, I think, doing it as a mother because you know your typical startup person is usually a guy. And if it's a woman, it's probably not you know someone with two kids. So I think it's good to have more people out there who are making those career transitions whenever it makes sense in their life and yeah. not not even if they don't fit the mold. Yeah, no, you, you definitely inspire us. And so, you know, a lot of people that are trying to, you know, change their careers and go to a school that trains them for a job, a big piece is not just the education, it's, it's how to finance it. And so I know you run an organization that does this climb. So can you tell us what climb does and, and how you all help people finance their education? Yeah. So really quick, high level, climb is an education finance company focused on partnering with high quality skills-based training programs. So that could be anything from a coding bootcamp, um, which I know you guys work with a lot of the coding bootcamps, to a truck driving school, teacher training program, nursing program. We're agnostic to what kind of skills the students who attend the programs are working with. We just want to make sure that they're high quality. So if you go in, you're likely to come out and get the outcome that they say you're going to get and that that outcome makes sense relative to the cost. And cost really is two things. One is the amount of money that you either pay or finance, but also your time. Mm. Right? Because time is money. Yes. Okay. Yes. Everybody. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yes. If you're going to so, spend uh, six months or nine months going to a school and not working or maybe working part time, that's opportunity cost you're missing out it on. It is. As well. So you got to factor. factor that in. And that becomes more and more right of a cost when you start thinking about the traditional education that a lot of people are going to. Right. So if you're going to go to four years, yeah. five years of a bachelor's program, that's a lot of time. That's money. A lot of time. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah. We know that, but uh, the time adds in too. So. That's interesting. Yeah. So speaking, I think that's a good segue from traditional higher education. So what's the difference between a loan from four-year school and a climb loan? Yeah. So I think as you mentioned at the beginning, access to these programs, a lot of it comes down to how you're going to pay for it. Yeah. And the way that education, post-secondary education is financed in the U.S. is really, really complicated and confusing. But really the way you can break it down is there's two types of ways that you can finance education. There's what we call Title IV mm -hmm. or federal government loans, mm -hmm. and then there's private loans. Mm -hmm. So that's money that's not coming from the government. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's scholarships and grants and all other types of and veterans funding. But really when you break it down, there's either money from the government or money that's from the private markets. In the government, what you're typically doing there is you're going to a large, larger accredited university, mm -hmm. okay? And then there you can qualify for loans 
that come directly from the federal government. Everybody is entitled to a certain amount of loans every year Mm -hmm. based on how much money you make or your family makes, depending on whether you're a dependent, and a certain amount over your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that is really comes into play, particularly when people are getting a bachelor's degree or a master's degree from a traditional higher ed institution. Yeah. Okay. So then when you start looking at more alternative education providers like boot camps mm-hmm. and many vocational and skills-based training programs, they often don't have that federal government financing available. Sometimes yep. they do, but they often don't. Yeah. And the reason for that is that often the prices are lower mm-hmm. than what makes sense to create the infrastructure mm-hmm. to run the federal government financing program. So that's very expensive for a school to administer. You have to have a lot of staff mm-hmm. to run it. Yeah. And so what we see at a lot of boot camps and other types of skills training programs is in order to keep their price point low, you know, under the $15,000 mark or so in that range, they want to try and find private funding sources mm-hmm. that are less expensive to administer, mm-hmm. but still help create affordable payment options. Yeah. And that is where Climb comes in. That's yeah. awesome. Very and cool. uh, in earlier in the pre-chat, you were mentioning how with traditional universities, these schools get accredited yeah. by agencies that give them a rating and give them a, like a stamp of approval. But in many cases, it's the university paying the accrediting agency to do it. Whereas with Climb, you actually are issuing the loan. So you actually have, you're putting your own money on the line when you're evaluating the schools based on their outcomes and how they're actually helping the student get a return on their investment. So what are those things that you look for in a school that might differentiate a school that you decide to work on, work with versus a school that you don't work with? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I would say with anybody, if you're making a decision mm-hmm. based on an evaluation from a third party, you should always understand what are the mm-hmm. incentives of that third party. Mm-hmm. So with an accreditor, if they're the one who's telling you, yes, this school is good and you should consider going there and spending money and, and time to go there, yeah. right? Who's paying this accreditor? <laughs> what is their, how are they benefiting from this relationship? And so CLIMB is paid by students mm-hmm. because the students take the loan and then we make money when the students pay back their loans. So we are heavily incentivized, mm-hmm. right? To want the schools that we work with to produce outcomes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what do we look at? Because that's a hard and complicated thing to figure out. So we look at all kinds of things. First and foremost, we do, you know, we make sure that the company, that the school is financially sound. Mm -hmm. So we'll get financials from the schools that we work with and look at them to make sure that they've got enough money to operate, right? Because it would be a real bummer if you start going to a school and halfway through they close down because they don't have money. Secondly, we look at the, the owners of the school and sort of do general sort of better business bureau reviews, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But Believe it or not, there are some schools where if you just go to the Better Business Bureau, you will find a lot of information. <laughs> and that's not a good thing. Yeah. People don't go there when they're happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we've had schools where we've gone there and yeah. then been like, nope. Mm-hmm. And then third is outcomes. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the hardest one. But what we do is we collect data from the school. We look at any data that we can get ourselves. And we look at d- data on an industry. So this is whether it's a boot camp or some other type of training program, mm-hmm. you can look at, you know, what is the starting salary of a nurse or of a crane operator, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives you a nice starting point. And what we calculate is essentially the return on investment. Mm-hmm. If you are to attend this program, what is the likelihood that you're going to graduate? Mm-hmm. What is the likelihood that you're going to get a job? How much money is that job going to pay you? Mm-hmm. And how much more money is that than where you came from? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we 
it's a little fuzzy to understand where someone, you know, where students are coming from. Mm-hmm. But we try and get, you know, kind of a basic point of view when we start working with a school. When, mm-hmm. Is this a school that's primarily enrolling people who have bachelor's degrees? Mm-hmm. Or is it primarily enrolling high school high school graduates or mm-hmm. something else? Mm-hmm. Do they require work experience or not? Mm-hmm. Because that can help you get an understanding of, of the baseline. Yeah. Okay. And then once we're working with a school, we continue to collect that data, sometimes by directly partnering with the school mm-hmm. and essentially helping them administer their outcome surveys and sometimes doing our own surveys and reviews. And then that enables us to continue to learn. Got it. Right. Because schools yeah. change over time. Not yeah. everything's, you know, we've been in this market for almost five years. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know. So that data is super important. And, and I like the focus on outcomes because obviously, like, financing the education is one thing, but also, making sure that when they get the job that they're making enough to either pay back right. whatever they did if they didn't pay it out of pocket. And so there's different ways of paying things back and there's different types of things. So there's a traditional loan, there's a climb loan, there's like ISAs that are, can you talk about like different yeah. nuances and why it's important to have a salary above a certain amount to be yeah. able to pay things back? Yeah. So there's a few things there. So one is in a traditional loan from either the federal government or the sort of traditional private lenders, right? Like banks and things like that. The way the money gets transferred is essentially the day you enroll, the school gets all the money. Mm-hmm. 100% of the tuition, Your lo- so let's say the school costs $10,000. You get a loan for $10,000, school gets $10,000 cash. That's crazy. And that's it. And so if you don't make any payments, and in some extreme examples, the school might get into some trouble, but for the most part, it doesn't really matter. With a climb loan, the school accepts, basically participates in the loan alongside CLIMB. Okay. So we, with all the schools we work with, every partner, if we're working with somebody, they are taking a risk in the loan alongside CLIMB. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that the school's agreeing to defer some of their revenue to after the student starts making payments. Got it. And what that means is that they are participating. Mm-hmm. They are now incentivized to want the students who are attending their programs and financing it to be able to get jobs, to be able to make payments. Yeah. Because if they don't, they don't make as much money. Yeah. Okay. And so Can you that- share what the ranges are of like, how, how do you uh, split the risk between climb and the school? Yeah. So it, to- it absolutely depends on a lot of factors, like how much the tuition costs, how long the loan tenors are and all that. But it's usually it's in the, you know, the schools are getting kind of in the like high, like 70 to 80% upfront. Some mm-hmm. cases it's lower, sometimes yeah. it's more, but it's kind of in that range. So it's enough. Up, the school needs the money, yeah, right? The like you don't, you don't want the school getting money. nothing, yeah. right? Because they need it to be able to run their business and that's totally reasonable, right? Yeah. But it's enough yeah. that they you want the other piece. Yeah, because yeah. like if you go in, you're like, we're going to give you 99%, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, they're taking a risk share, but that's not a real risk yeah, share, yeah. right? So it's the kind of the sweet spot where they can still run their business and, but still care. And I believe that's where it's going. Yeah. So ISAs is something you brought up. Mm-hmm. That is another way to sort of structure. Again, For people that don't know, that's an income share oh, yeah, agreement. Income share agreement. And this is where on that piece in particular, and we can get into kind of other, the other aspects, but that piece in particular, the school is essentially agreeing that they will make more money mm-hmm. if the student who graduates makes more money. Mm-hmm. Because when the student graduates, they pay a percentage of their income over time. Mm-hmm to pay off the financing. Yep. So it's a similar structure, right? Where it's students are doing well and they're making payments, you're going to make more money. Yep. And I absolutely think that that is the future of how education will be financed. Yeah. There's another piece that's 
important, I think, which is that CLIMB doesn't work with a school if the amount of money that a student's going to owe once they have to start paying it back is going to be too much of their income that we think they're going to make upon graduation. Mm -hmm. So we have a point of view from every school we work with about how much money you're going to make when you graduate. And if based on the tuition amount, that's going to be 30, 40% of your monthly income to pay off the loan, we're not going to work with that school. That's good. So we are very much a kind of student centric, like we don't want to work with a school we wouldn't want, you know, a friend or family member to go to. Yeah. Or where we just generally don't think that there's a reasonable likelihood that people are going to be able to get out of it and yeah. affordably pay yes. for it. And a lot of the time with, uh, like you said, there's incentives for the school to ensure that the outcome is there. But from a perspective of a student, that provides an insurance policy, right? Yep. So when you're doing an income sharing agreement, you're waiting until you're in a job and then you only pay if you got a higher paying job. And with a loan, it sounds like with a school at least not getting paid that 20%, there's also some insurance that the school now is incentivized to help you. How do you see that evolving in this industry now? Because at the end of the day, students don't want to end up owning money for a job that they didn't weren't able to get. So what is your approach in helping students get that insurance? Yeah, so I think that's a great point. And what I'll say from the students that, that I talk to and knowing what it's like to be a student, right, in my life, and invest in anything mm-hmm. is that if you're taking a, a bet, right? Mm-hmm. That like, okay, I'm going to quit my job, go get this degree, make a career switch. There is some chance this isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to either end up where I was before or, or something different, but it's not going to be the, in, let's talk about boot camps, the software development job that I want. And I think it's really important that we protect those people. Yeah. And today, ISAs do a really good job of that. So again, mm-hmm. the income share agreements, one of the features that they have is essentially an insurance policy. So when you graduate from school or from the certificate program boot camp, if you don't get a job with a minimum outcome, which can range for, at different schools between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year, if you don't get that, you don't know anything. And I think that's a really, really good feature. Yeah. I don't think everyone wants that. Yeah. I think people put a different value on that based yeah. on most likely where they're coming from. Yep. So if you're already making $60,000 a year, an ISA that has a $40,000 a year trigger yeah. might not be as attractive to you, yeah. right? As somebody who maybe is making less than $40,000 a year now. Yeah. So I think that there's a range of, of value that yeah. people place on that, but it's important Yeah. because without that, the people that I think are most potentially marginalized and also would benefit the most from this type of training that we yeah. know can be transformative might avoid it altogether yeah. and then not get the upward mobility that they deserve. And so CLIMB right now, we have that feature in ways of allowing people to continue to defer their loan. But one thing that we'll be launching in the next couple months is the ability to actually add insurance to That's your awesome. loan. Okay. So where you would essentially finance a larger portion mm-hmm. than the tuition balance, like mm-hmm. the, the uh, sticker price, yeah. so to say. But what you get for that larger amount is the ability to essentially not, the, the loan's not going to turn on till you get the job at the minimum threshold. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it brings in a feature that I think, again, not everyone wants, but the people who want it need it. And that gives you kind of like a buffer for like living stipends and things like that. Yeah, I think there's availability for that. I think another thing that we're going to be introducing and is really important is, so right now we have this idea of the risk share, right? So the schools are sort of participating in the loan. 
over time, I'd like to see that evolve to become even more nuanced, where the school can essentially earn more money at graduation mm-hmm. and then earn more money when someone gets a job, mm-hmm. right? Because if a school can put a student through the program, get them graduated and get them a job, they've done what they set out to do. There's yeah. some consistent, you know, like maybe like networking and other services that you can provide, but if they do that, yeah. right? And so they should be able, they should earn more money for having done that, yeah. I think. And so that's the kind of thing that, that's something you'll see climb. And I think a lot of other lenders and people who play in this space innovating on over the next yeah. couple of years, because that's where it needs to go. Yeah. yeah. Do you see climb potential offering income sharing at some point as well? Yeah. I mean, we haven't ruled it out. It gets tricky because we're obviously we've developed the infrastructure for loans, which are highly regulated, which is obviously a big cost to climb to maintain and comply. But most of the regulations, when you look at them, are developed to protect consumers. Mm -hmm. That's what lending regulations are for. Right. But I guess what are the considerations from your point of view when you're looking at, like, I guess, like the benefits that ISA provides to the student versus the benefits that a student loan provides to the student? Right. So I think like, for instance, let's say, so we talk about the student loan that I just described that has the insurance on it. So that to me feels like, okay, that's a product that has some of the really important Mm -hmm. components of an ISA. The piece that it's missing is the percentage of income. Mm -hmm. So essentially that like wherever you're at above the threshold, you only pay a minimum percentage. We might be able to control that by just making sure the tuition is priced correctly. Mm -hmm. Right. So that it's always like, okay, once you hit the minimum threshold, let's say it's $50,000, the loan payment will always be less than 12% of $50,000. And so if you're making more than $50,000, it'll just keep going down from there. And then that enables it to be a loan. But part of that is just like a math problem and making sure it works and then making sure that people understand it. I mean, that's one of the things I think the feedback I've got is that one of the things that's really attractive about ISAs is that they're really easy to explain. Yeah, I think loans can be, but they, I don't know that lenders have always done a great job of being, of explaining them. Do you know what I mean? Totally, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of nuances to different ways to fund your education and CLIMB has a lot of really great options. What's the process of getting a a CLIMB loan? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, you will often learn about CLIMB because the schools we work with will tell you that they work with CLIMB. So as you're talking to a school, whether it's a boot camp or another type of school, ask them who are your financing providers. If CLIMB's there, they'll tell you. And it might be on their website, but if not, they'll tell you when you talk to them. And the way that you actually apply is you can find the school application on our website. It takes about four minutes to fill out. We ask for very little information, just kind of the bare minimum of what we need. And one of the, I would say, unique things about CLIMBs and the way that we assess new borrowers who are coming in is that we pull what's called a soft credit pull. So the credit pull that we do when we are assessing someone for a loan will not impact your credit score. So that means you can apply to a few different schools. You can apply with and without a cosigner. We don't require a cosigner, but we enable you to Mm -hmm. if you want one. And all of that can be done with no impact. And we only will put an inquiry, actually touch the credit score and affect your credit score if you get the loan. So that's unique to Climb. We're the only one in the market that does that. And The reason that we're pulling credit is one, to verify information, and two, because at some schools we'll have some credit criteria, but at most schools we do not have a FICO cutoff. So even if someone has bad credit from something they did 10 years ago, 
they're not going to get disqualified. That's right. In most cases. That's right. So our approval rates are very high. And in some cases, if you do have something on there that is an issue, we'll work with you to try and clear it up. We've done that with many, many student borrowers committed to helping people. Is it the same interest rate for kind of all the applicants or is it varied based on someone's score or some other factors? It depends on the school. It, okay. it usually varies a bit, but we have some schools where we have the same interest rate mm-hmm. and others where it's different, but they're all pretty reasonable, usually under 12% mm-hmm. and starting at about six. So mm-hmm. we do a range and it really just depends on the school. But to the, the question you asked before about, was, the, about the bad credit, yeah. the other thing I would just note is also new to credit. So this is also an area where people who either have recently, you know, like haven't been had a banking relationship yeah, yeah. or have, or maybe they're just like 18 or 19 years 18 old, 18 or yeah. 19 years old, or just haven't ha- are typically unbanked, won't have any credit. And so we do a lot of work with, That's with huge. students like that. It's That's very powerful. And, you know, so my background, you mentioned at the intro, I came from City and American Express. My job there was underwriting. So I would set the models and the policies for who we would approve and deny for credit. And I remember always being really concerned about how does somebody get their first credit card? Yeah. Like, how do you get, you know, how do you break in? Because you're essentially anonymous to the system until you get your first credit card. Even if you're doing everything right, you're paying your bills on time, you're paying your rent on time, none of that gets recorded. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to me at Climb that we are providing, Mm -hmm. that we are providing products and that we're able to bring people in who are in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's me. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, so you earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that the reason you're even doing this is you want to build a better future for your daughters. And Climb doesn't just work with boot camps or coding schools. You also work with other training programs. So where do you see our education system going? Is it unbundling now? Are there, like, how does someone listening who might be graduating from high school or they're graduating from college what should they know about the future that you think will equip them to have job security, stability, and other things that most people want for themselves? Yeah. I mean, that is like the big question, right? I think first and foremost, it's about data transparency and, and, and understanding outcomes. That's why I love our concept of the return on investment. I know a lot of other people are focusing on that as well. If you're, if you're going to go to school mm-hmm. right, and spend money on it, right? As particularly as you're financing it, right? And yep. again, time is money. So your time also, yep. you got to know what you're going to get for it. And you got to push to get the information. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really lacking in our traditional system. So when you think about the four-year education system, is that what are you going to get on the other side? And that depends a lot on where you go to school, what your major is, mm-hmm. all these decisions that people are making very much in an information vacuum. And so I would encourage young people to spend maybe a little more time thinking about where am I going to be four years from now? What do I want to be doing? What are the people who started this school that I'm looking at four years ago? What are they doing now? And a little less interested in like, how nice are the dorms? And like, Mm -hmm. is there a slip inside on campus or whatever? (laughs) Because all that stuff is really fun and cool. But you will be disappointed if you come out with a lot of debt yeah. and not and no income. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, so. I think something else that a lot of people forget to measure when they're deciding like what major to pick or whether to go to law school or like some other graduate program is that like not just taking into account the outcomes, but also what happens if like two years into your career you decide to 
it's not for you, right? Because that also is a very uh, like viable like option where a lot of people end up doing these jobs where they realize that, hey, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a banker or a doctor. And the outcomes are there. But in yeah. case you don't like it, you're still on the hook for the student debt. Right. And so as people are considering careers, you should also factor in that, hey, what if when you're 25, you do get a job that you were promised to get, but now you don't want this job anymore. Mm-hmm. What do you do then? And how do you pay for that student debt? So yeah, I think those those are just some calculations people should take into account as well. And like, how do you minimize that window of repayment where even if you do kind of get the outcome you desire, that you're not kind of faced with this outcome for the next 20 years right. and paying it back? Because I think a lot of, like I know for myself, I wanted to be in finance. I got a bachelor's degree in finance. And two years later, I figured that tech is be- way better for me than Wall Street. And I'm still paying off my student loans from my banking days. And I wish someone told me back then, like to, to actually think about like what happens if two, three years down the line you realize this career isn't for you, and having that flexibility available, you know. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's a really good point, and that's where the unbundling piece mm-hmm. I think comes in. Like right now, and some of this really goes on to employers. I think that our job market puts way too much emphasis on do you have a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. and like where did you go to school? Yeah. And really, when you think about it. Like if you take the extreme example, you know, you got an employer who's looking at somebody and, and, and their first where their eye goes first, right? On the resume is where they go to school. And so let's think, you know, like Harvard is an example, grade school, right? But are is the person hiring that undergraduate from Harvard hiring them because they thought Harvard gave them this education that makes them so well qualified for the job or because they're impressed that this person got in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I... I argue, particularly when you're hiring people that are, you know, newer to the workforce and like, let's say under 10 years of experience, that that part, mm-hmm. looking at what's where someone went to school is very much just based on the fact that person was able to get in. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a test that we can fake, like whatever you're trying to discern with that, yeah. we could do with a much less expensive test. Yep. Right? A lot of times those like low admissions rates are artificial. They're not like, I'm not, not maybe not Harvard, but just in general, like sometimes people artificially keep their emissions rates low just to keep the perception of, of being elite. That's right. That's right. You've got a lot of really counterproductive activities going on. I mean, you see the admissions scandal that just happened, right? Yeah. And it's like, so there's people like paying money to fake their SAT scores and that's what gets them into college. So, all right. So, so now I think we all agree that better signaling, <laughs> better data transparency, yeah. outcomes, super important. Right. Yeah. And I think the unbundling piece is interesting because that could enable, and this is like a long, you know, 20 year thing that we're going to have to work on. But if, if someone could come out of high school, let's say, mm-hmm. and go to a boot camp mm-hmm. or career training program and spend six months learning a skill, go test it in the market, get a real job, yep. mm-hmm. see if they like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. If they do, continue to upskill. Yep. If that was our system, wouldn't that make a lot of sense? That's where we think it's going and that we want. And I think like a lot of people are working on it in pockets, but it's going to take a lot of coordination working together to figure it out. That's right. And I think the other big piece, or at least an an argument that I hear a lot for college is that you get that network or you get that community that most young adults won't be able to get if they don't go to college. And for people who want that, that's what career karma is for. We have peer circles. We put people into groups who have a common objective, who might be Uber drivers trying to become software developers. And before career karma, they're doing it on their own in their bedrooms. But now you're going through this six-month journey with 10 other people. And I think as 
our education system changes, people are still going to need to rely on other people to like be there for them and have that support system. But there's other ways than going to college and taking on two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, that's yeah. a big that's a big networking cost. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> big social circle cost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I mean technology is making that easier and easier, right? So now there's the tools yeah. that didn't exist twenty years ago, yeah. thirty yeah. years ago, to find people with similar interests as mm-hmm. you in, in wherever you're located physically and interact with them. Yeah. Right. And so it used to be you had to go to college because that's like how else would you find these people? Yeah. 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 Right. What are some other programs that you work with outside of coding or tech? So we work with one program I love is our, our teacher training program Amazing. that is non-title four. So they've been able to keep their costs down. They charge nine thousand dollars for wow. a master's in education. Average pay bump for a working teacher with a master's is five thousand dollars a year, sometimes more. Interesting. Pays back in two years. You also said a cosmetology. We do. Well. That's we huge. do. We work with a couple of cosmetology schools. Again, there are cosmetology schools that use Leverage Climb as their main financing offering, and they're all charging less than $10,000. How much time did it take to finish cosmetology school or teacher it, training? It depends. So the teacher training is 12 to 18 months. Okay. And cosmetology is going to be like six months, seven months, something nice. like that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, I, I think the vision that you shared makes a lot of sense. I think what you're doing with Climb and just innovating makes a lot of sense as well. Talk a little bit about the vision that you see for your kids as they move into this new world? Like, do you want them to go to college or how do you want them to be thinking about the transition? Yeah. So they'll, because they hear it all the time about college, they'll say, oh, when I go to college? And I always say, if you go to college. (laughs) And, And I, they might, they might not. I hope that by the time my children who are Almost eight. Well, they'll be eight when this comes out. Dahlia will be. Uh, and Amelia's, Amelia's five. But that when they are finishing high school, the system enables whatever pathway they want to be the right one for them, right? So that yeah. I think it, there used to be a day that's starting to change where when you came out of high school, like college bound was the way to go. And if you didn't, you were sort of like written off, yep. right? And I just hope and pray that that's going away. Yeah. So I will put out a stat. 40% of people who start a four-year degree don't finish in six years. Yeah, completion rate. So like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why are we doing this? 40% just to set people And then even the people that complete, they don't even have the job that they want. 60% (laughs) of people who finish a four-year degree say that they don't think it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They paid too much. So it's like the system is... Yeah. Something has to change. Every point along the way. And you see like people, you know, there's, there's a lot of careers that you can get that don't require a bachelor's degree where you can make good money, yeah. right? And so if you don't know what you want to do or you don't know that the four-year path is the right one for you, why not try another path? And then you can always go back, you know? I mean, life's long. One more thing before we go into lightning round that I want to touch on a little bit is the employer, right? So you talked a lot about like the way employers are involved with financing of higher education and just even these alternatives. The reason why I think it's important as well is just because even if employers hire all the talent that exists today is not going to be enough to fill the open jobs and you're going to have to reskill a lot of people. So they're going to have to figure out how to enable these alternatives or work with these alternatives. And so what are your thoughts about corporate training, corporate learning? How does that play into this space? Yeah. So you're starting to see a lot more innovation on that. So there's a couple of things that I think are really interesting. There's a number of companies, IBM being one of them, that's really pushing to hire. I think IBM saying 20% of their workforce, they want not to have a college degree. Wow. And what they're doing is they're hiring from boot camps and they're hiring from community colleges. And then they're doing the last mile training. So this idea of last mile training is sort of like 
And by the way, everyone needs last mile training. Yeah. People that come out of a bachelor's degree. I mean, I yeah. needed it. Yeah. When I showed up to my first job after I had a bachelor's in engineering, guess what I spent the first six months doing? Training yeah. Yeah. to learn the thing I needed to learn to work at the company I was at. So yeah. so I think companies are starting to understand that they're doing that anyway. Yeah. Right. Let's commit to doing that for, you know, all people and not just people with bachelor's degrees. Yeah. And then you're also seeing companies who have really strong employees who are committed and, and, and good at one job interested in other jobs. And so you're starting to see more and more commitment from companies to say, we want to retain our talent, right? We've got somebody who understands the business. They're a good cultural fit. You know, they're smart. They're dedicated. They understand what we're trying to do and the goals. This person who's on our customer success team wants to be a software developer. We don't want that person to leave, learn how to be a software developer, and then go to our competitor or go to some other company. Why don't we just let them learn how to do that here? Right. And then you've got a and then you've got a company a person who already understands the business. Yep. In another part, you didn't have to hire you didn't have to pay to hire them and recruit. Yep. And they are potentially more interested, you know, they're yeah. they're they feeling the dedicated. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be grateful for you investing yeah. in them, right? Yeah. So we've done that a couple of times at Klein. We've I, I was telling you about yeah, this before. Can you share those stories? Yeah. So we've got one woman who was on our ops team. She went to General Assembly for the part-time software development program and she's now been an engineer for a couple of years and mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she's killing it. And then uh, another woman who was managing our relationships with the schools. That's a, you know, it's kind of like a a partner success person who was one of the most knowledgeable people in the company about how our systems work. We have some complex systems in terms of how we integrate with schools to make sure they are always keeping up to date on how students, yeah, the data infrastructure and all that. She knew how that worked better than anyone. Um, And so she went to product school. Awesome. Shout out to Carlo. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And that was... It was a great career move for both of them. And it's great for Climb. Yeah. Yeah. So I would encourage other companies to do that. You don't have to formalize it necessarily, although sometimes it's better if you do, because then you have more people take advantage of it. But I think that there's I think there's a lot there. I think there's a lot there. Can you talk about that piece about like the five thousand something? Yeah, that yeah. They have to pay? So then okay, so the climb's obviously a smaller company, so we're doing this a little more ad hoc. But yep. what you see with larger companies is often they will create programs, sometimes that will cover full tuition to enable their students or their employees to go and get more training. But the way that the infrastructure works, like the tax infrastructure work for corporations is that if they have an employee where they pay $5,250 towards their training, they can write that off on their corporate taxes. The employer can. So what you'll often see is employers being very happy to cover that amount, but anything more becomes more challenging, right? And so what we have done is worked with some of our school partners to provide financing for anything above the 5250 so that it still is affordable yep. to the students and they can take advantage of that pretty good deal yep. of you know having some of the tuition yeah. paid for. Nice. And what are some of the companies, like are these companies that are in the, like I guess for people working, let's say at Google or Facebook or IBM, not in engineering roles, if they wanted to take advantage of the credit or of the like the amount that a company can cover for them. How do they go about finding out about that? Yeah. So my first piece of advice would be go to the HR team or the mm-hmm. corporate training team. Companies of those sizes that you mentioned all have yeah. them. I would go there, ask what kind of training is available for employees who want to upskill. Mm-hmm. And if they, they'll either show you. And if they say nothing or they don't have anything, I would advocate. I would say, I found a program I want to attend. I know that you can write off $5,250 a yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Can I take advantage of that? I would advocate for that. That's dope. Perfect. So yeah. go do that. 
Go to that. items. I like yeah. that. And then, by the way, a lot of part-time programs out there are about that cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So you can, you might be able to get them to pay for it, but dropping gems might change your life. Yeah. yeah. But definitely go with that. I would say the on one of the questions you sent me was like, what's the best advice you've ever gotten oh, yeah. to me? I got, I've had a few, but one of them is if you don't ask, you don't get it. Oh, that's right. I okay. Like I like okay. And especially for all the women out there. Yeah. Cause sometimes we get scared. We think like, yeah. I don't know, like you don't want to yeah. ask, but just ask. Yeah. Just yeah. ask. Worst thing that'll happen is they'll say no, and then guess what? You're where where you were before. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly. something you could probably negotiate as like you're negotiating your salary every six months. You might be able to say, "Well, I was thinking of learning this new thing because you know you, you want me to continue." See, look at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen to that. That's so right. when, He's a good negotiator. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever get told, "Hey, we don't have a budget for an increase," you could say, "Well." I know that you guys get this ty- like money back by sending me to school. How about you throw <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, there's a tax deduction. Like, yeah, tax- go get the IRS them. code. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be able to get some free tuition. Yeah, yeah. but you definitely you won't get it unless you ask for it. Yeah, and we, we've covered a lot of uh, topics. Before we jump into the lightning round, in the intro, I mentioned that you do come from a technical background and you actually studied engineering in college. So can you talk about your experience showing up to your first computer science class. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is a funny story. So I enrolled at the University of Michigan. I was from Ann Arbor. So I mm-hmm. you know, just walked down the street and that's where I went to college. And I was just in the regular liberal arts college. I hadn't really thought about it, but I'd always been good at math. I took calculus mm-hmm. and I had a friend who, when she found out I had gotten an A in calculus, which was pretty hard to do, she said, you should join the engineer, enroll in the engineering college with me. And I'm like, what's an engineer? I didn't, I, you know, I don't know, because this is back in 2000. So yeah. uh, now I don't think I would have asked that. Maybe, <laughs> uh, but they. So, so she's like, oh, it's good. You know, you'll, you know, you learn a bunch of stuff, and it's, it's good for job. It's good mm-hmm. for getting a job. Mm-hmm. I remember that's what she told me. Yeah. It's like okay. So I enroll, and the first class I had to take was CS 101, Computer Science mm-hmm. 101. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I walked into that class, and the professor was talking about code, uh-huh. and I had never heard the word code before. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Again, this is a while ago, yeah. right? And I remember they're doing the zeros and ones and all this. And I was like, what happened? But I ended up figuring it out. And I'm proud to say I got an A minus. Okay. All right. But it was, and I realized, I think what was, what was good there, right? I would say practically was that I learned how to make computers do what I want them to do, yeah. which I'd never even realized was a possibility. I'd used a computer before, but my yeah. feeling was always, you know, they just, you know, there's someone, you know, they just mm-hmm. got here somehow. And then I, <clears throat> I you know, I just kind of use it. But instead now I'm like, I can manipulate the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you start to realize, oh, like when I open up an application, mm-hmm. right, like Word, mm-hmm. like someone wrote the code yep. Yep. to make this. Yep. And so it was sort of like one of those yeah, moments, like right? Like, yeah, like mind the Matrix. Blown. You just it exited was. the Matrix. It was. So it was a little bit of that. Red pill. But even more than that, it was the power of learning. And of like your own ability to gain skills, right? Mm-hmm. Like just going in there and being like, nothing's impossible. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. learn this. Yeah. I can. And I was surrounded by, by the way, there was like three women in the entire class wow. of like 500 people. Wow. And most of them were men who had already coded a lot. Cause this is, yeah. you know, I mean, like most people who are engineers aren't showing up, never heard of code, yeah. you know? So there's kids in there who had like built their own computers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially and, back in 2000s before boot camp. So that's right. No, it was most of the people that learned when they were in high school. Yeah, exactly. School. Exactly. And I remember those kids and I wasn't one of them. And so I think that there was a lot of kind of fear and feeling, you know, absolutely inadequate, both because of my gender, but also because of my lack of 
initial skills. And, and so you I, mentioned the imposter syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about, about that, how you de- deal with it? Yeah. I mean, I, everyone, I still deal with that, but it's, I think, most acute when you look around and no one around is like you. Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, I'm probably not supposed to be here. Right. Like you look around a room of 500 people and it's all a bunch of guys who, you know, know how to code and you're a girl who doesn't know how to code. Mm-hmm. Your initial reaction is I should probably leave. Yeah. Right. And so there's like, a, I don't belong here. I don't like, belong here. Yeah. yeah. And so I would say to any of your listeners who might fall into that category, it's definitely about hard work mm-hmm. and perseverance, but like don't let anyone tell you, you don't belong there. Yeah. yeah. Protect your dreams. It's about mindset. Yeah. Protecting your yeah. dreams. I mean, yeah. we have a lot of um like parents, a lot of people in their forties, fifties who join Career Karma or start listening to the podcast and they're like, Am I gonna be able to do this? Cause I'm not twenty years old, you know, like I have yeah. commitments and um it's a definitely a barrier that a lot of people have to face with. But we tell them if you trust the process, if you if that's something you want to do, then we'll help you overcome that as a community. But, but also embrace your differences as a superpower. So if I'm older, yeah. like you have years of experience that's and right. insight that you can provide, even though your your software engineering skills may be more junior. If you're a parent, there's a lot of things that you've overcome that people that aren't parents haven't overcome. So like take that as a superpower. Yeah, I use so I think having kids is a superpower for a few reasons, some being that like you finally realize really about time management, yeah. right? Okay. Like people who don't have children who tell me they don't have time to do something, I'm like, eh, you got time. <laughs> you got time. Um, but also is start leveraging your kids in the way that they think. Like when you start learning through the eyes of your children yeah. and seeing how they see the world, yeah. it can bring you back to being like that, have that having that nimble mind, yeah. right? And so like one thing that I've done is when I'm trying to learn a new skill now, I'll like try and talk about it sometimes with my eight-year-old, yeah. Yeah. you know, because it's like, you know, I'll try and break it down to her. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think leverage the things that you have as yeah. your strengths. But I will say that if you are, you know, if you have those obligations, it's going to be a commitment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you just got to like, know it's going to be hard. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. Yeah. And that, and it could be great, but it won't be easy. And yeah. so you just have to kind of know that going in. And Yeah. I mean, you can't build muscle without resistance. That's, that's right. That's right. But you get stronger on the other side. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And so at this point in the podcast, we're going to do the lightning round and This is where we're going to ask you for tactics, strategies, advice that you have for our listeners who are starting to get on this journey or they're already midway and they need advice from uh, people like you. So Archer, take it away. Yeah. So this question is about taking it back to the basics. And um, for our listeners who might be, let's say they moved to a brand new city, they don't know anyone, they're starting from scratch. So if you put yourself in their shoes, what would you do and how would you spend $100 to get back in your feet and break into tech? 100 bucks. Where yeah. are you moving? So it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Let's say matter. it's um, New York or Atlanta or maybe even a small city in the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is finding stability. Mm-hmm. I do think, um, and that would be hard in New York with $100 or anywhere with $100, but I think figuring out where you live, mm-hmm. right? And where your family lives, if you have a family, mm-hmm. right? And- kind of the basic structure of your life, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't have those things, and I've been there before, right? Where you're like moving around and th- whatever, it's very hard to be focused. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I would say find your stability and it's okay to be probably short-sighted at first mm-hmm. with what you're doing career-wise in order to get that stability. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then after that, once you got a place and you know where your next meal is coming from, yeah. figure out what you love and get the path to get there. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think 
I'm not letting you be lightning on this, but uh, <laughs> one thing I think a lot of people get scared of is like they they're looking like two steps ahead, mm-hmm. not like one step ahead. Yeah. What I always like to do is say, okay, this is where I want to be. So you you give yourself the like, mm-hmm. this is where we want to be in a year or something like that, and then just figure out what's the next step. Yeah, and yeah. we always we always bring the analogy of playing a video game. Don't try to beat the whole game when you're just at level one. Like beat level one meet other people in career karma court level two and three who can help you out but don't overwhelm yourself thinking what do you like i need to do all these things for the next six months it can be very and that happens in business you know like you're thinking about your plans you want to launch a new product and you're like huge vision oh (laughs) man we're not and it's like okay we got the vision that's great what's the next step i i I don't know how many times a day i say what's the next step i say like (laughs) what's the next step (laughs) like don't let ambition get so far ahead of itself that it loses sight of the job at hand that's right that's right that's the big a big challenge especially when you have shiny objects presenting themselves all the time it's like this code school this code school this code school is like and you never get anything done because you're exploring everything something that i've noticed throughout this entire conversation is that you have really positive energy and are you always like that or do you have routines or music that you listen to to pump yourself up every day like, what is that? Is it your kids? Uh, the kids have a lot to do with it. But thank you. Thank you. I think I, I think it's some of it is just my inherent sort of who I am. But I would say number one is that I really love what I do. Yeah. And I love a lot of things about my life. But yeah. I have been in jobs where I didn't like what I was doing. Yeah. And th- those jobs weren't necessarily hard and weren't necessarily time consuming, yeah. but it was miserable. Yeah. And so I, th- I, my advice on that is if you're going to be working, okay, if that's something you're going to be doing, whether you need to or you want to, make sure you like what you do. Yeah. And if you don't, get your path to figure it out and take one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, next step. But, yeah. but that makes, it makes a big difference because so much of your time. Yeah. But in terms of routines, I don't, so music, I have working music that I like. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I listen to I listen to this DJ called Alex Cruz. Okay. Okay. I mean, Do you I know him? Know. You know, he's good. He's like kind of it's like a like kind of house, like tropical house music. <laughs> I, mean, I have a playlist just like this. Yeah, it's, it's and it just I don't know why it works. Puts you in the zone. It puts me in the zone. And yeah. I actually went to a conference last year and he was yeah. playing and oh, I got amazing. to meet him. Yeah. It was like awesome, but yeah. anyway, so I, I that's what I listen to like and and then I I love I love crossword puzzles. Okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. Do you do Sudoku? I do, but Sudoku. more more crossword. Okay. Okay. Because nice. actually I, I find my, I'm such a numbers person yeah. that what I like about crossword puzzles is just, right. it's more words. And yeah. so it stretches me on the word side. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's my like guilty pleasure. is good. Yeah. Reader's Digest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And uh, the last question I want to ask you is around just qualities, not just technical qualities, but qualities from a soft skills perspective that you look for and people that you hire for your, for climb because a lot of the listeners today they're starting to think about their job their career path learning the skills and going to the job search what are the things that you look for as a ceo when you're interviewing candidates for climb so the answer to this was actually something i learned from a woman that i worked with or i worked for at american express who was a amazing mentor to me and so okay. I, tina Shout she's tina. yeah tina's great tina's uh-huh. great I'll have to send this to her so she can hear me shout out. Uh, anyway, so, so she told me two things and I'll add a third. So the first is you want someone who knows how to think. Smart. All right. So, and that can be different for different jobs, right? You need different levels of and types of intelligence, but you want to make sure the person you're hiring has 
kind of those the core skills, whether it's EQ for like a sales job or maybe technical smarts for an engineering job. But then the second thing, which I think is just as important, is ability to take feedback. Mm, okay. Okay. So this is, yes, coachability because nobody's perfect. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Yep. And every job is a little different. And if you bring someone in and they're going to be resistant to the improvement process, they're going to stagnate. Yep. But somebody who's into it, wants to get better, wants the feedback, is thinking, is improving, is getting better, will be happier, will be more productive, and will be a better team member over the long run, hands down. And then the third thing that I bring is passion for the mission. Okay. So that's harder at some companies where like maybe the mission isn't there or whatever. But I don't, like if someone comes into an interview, and this is, this is for anyone who wants to interview at Climb, okay? If you come into the interview and you like don't know what we do and you don't care about changing the educational system for the better, right? Mm-hmm. Expanding access to quality education. It's on our website. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that and you don't care about it, then it's not going to work. Yeah. You got to care. You got to yeah. care. You got to know what we do. Yeah. yeah. And I want to give a shout out to Chase from App Academy yeah. for putting us in touch. Yeah. Thank you, um, Chase. This came up last minute. This interview got thrown together in the last three days, but we're so glad that you joined and you shared your vision for the future for your kids, but also for everyone you're helping. And it's been a pleasure. So thank you so much, Angela. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. It's really powerful. Yeah. Oh, thank you, guys. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me? Okay, I would say LinkedIn. Okay. Send me a DM or on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. What's your handle yeah. on Twitter? A Ceresny. Okay. All right. We'll yeah. share it in the show notes. Cool. Uh, okay. Thanks Maybe a lot. We'll take a picture after this and okay. tag you on it. Okay. Let's right. break in. Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.